This week's episode of Kaiju Weekly is brought to you by Carl Denham Productions. He's broke, he's under indictment, and he's desperate. Call now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Kaiju... Ah, crap, I forgot the name of our podcast. Kaiju Weekly. <laughs> See, I got too many things going on. I was I'm, I was in the Super Mega Crash thing. Welcome to Kaiju Weekly, everybody. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm your host, Stephen White. I do this every week on another podcast. I was in that zone, and I was like, this is not where I'm going, and I was veering off in the wrong way. So, welcome to Kaiju Weekly. I'm your host, Stephen White. With me is michael hamilton how are uh, you doing <laughs> i'm leaving it in i'm leaving it all in everybody's got to hear this well that's that's perfectly fine hey i think uh you when we you and you uh, now see i'm now i'm getting tongue tied yeah it's all here um i think you told me that you record another podcast on saturdays too so it, it there's no it's i'm not really surprised that that was that that that, that freudian slip just kind of um stuck around there yeah, because as you can tell, we're usually not the ones guiding this podcast. It's usually Travis, but Travis happens to be at Pensacon. So we're trying to guide this ship this week. And again, I'm in a mindset elsewhere. I'm usually letting him kind of with the reins and, and it, it threw me off. It threw me off. I was in I was in another zone. But Pensacon uh, aka Travis gets a Florida vacation. Is pretty mm-hmm. much what that amounts to. Um, yeah, we don't even know if he really is at Pensacon. To be honest with you, um, I mean there might be some some evidence to suggest he might be, but he could be very good at, at photoshopping. We don't know. Well, he could. I mean, I, I thought maybe I saw a, a photo of him posted. Uh, I think it was yesterday with Takarada, possibly, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and a, and maybe a Wookie today. Not a hundred percent sure. That is not a hundred percent confirmed at this moment. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Travis is uh, he's away. He's actually semi working. He, he he did let us know that he is semi working on behalf of the community, on behalf of the podcast. He is at Pensacon, uh, and the, when I talked to him last night, uh, he seems to be having a fantastic time. So I'm looking forward to whatever whatever news and highlights he can bring back to the uh, podcast. In the next mm-hmm. in the next week or so, I'm looking forward to it. Sure, absolutely. And uh, if he can secure that little interview that he's been talking about, aiming for, that would be awesome too. But you know, that's a big, that's a tall order. But if he can do it, I applaud him. More immensely. power to him. Um, so, Stephen, before, before this uh, train goes off the rails even more, um. Do you want to lead us in with a little bit of news? Sure. Let's uh, see what kind of news we got here. Because we had there was quite a few headlines that kind of popped up over the week. Um, the first, I guess, we're going to hit on would be uh, we got a trailer for Power Rangers Beast Morpher Season 2. Okay. Uh, there seemed to be a lot of interesting things going on there. Uh, we saw some team-ups with uh, previous versions of Power Rangers. There seemed to be the return, and, and I noticed that there seems to be a little... I wasn't sure who it was. Like, I could hit and miss with some of the, the original Power Rangers. I think my wife probably knows a lot more about them than I do. But 
Uh, it seems to be the return of Jason from the original Power Rangers. Yeah, it look, yeah, uh, it looks like Jason. Lee. I get him. I know it's terrible. I am not the I'm not the biggest Power Rangers fan, and I so but I should still know this stuff. I get him. I get Jason Lee Scott and Jason David Frank confused, and I yeah. know that some of the Power Ranger fans out there are really uh, going to try to kick me online for this. But I do get their name. I, I get their names confused, not their faces, because they they both have some distinct. Uh, facial features but anyway mm-hmm. from the trailer we got from uh, beast morphers season two it looks like we're going to see the return uh maybe in a smaller cameo sort of way uh of the return of the red ranger the original the og the one from yeah. mighty Morphin power rangers circa 1992 um now i'll be honest with you i am not I'm, I'm I kind of fell off around 1999. Uh, I think it was Lost Galaxy is where I kind of fell off at. Uh, this is more Travis's realm of expertise because I know he sure. still keeps up with uh, some of the news surrounding Super Sentai and uh, Power Rangers. That's just really not my forte. So for what little bit we saw from the trailer, and it is actually a pretty long trailer. It's about a minute, minute and a half. Um, mm-hmm. Looks like they're doing a season two of Beast Morphers. Like we said, we're going to see a cameo by the OG Red Ranger himself, uh, Jason, um, and some other appearances throughout the show um, based on a unused concept from Super Sentai. Okay. It's pretty much what is, is what I can gather from uh, Travis's notes here and sort of what I've seen circulated online. But it right. looks a lot of fun. If you're if you're still into Power Rangers at this point, I think they're in their like their fiftieth season. That's somewhat of an exaggeration, but uh, <laughs> it's but not far off. It's not far off. You're right uh, because different. I, if I remember correctly, the original series was broken up into like four different seasons, and so mm. that one gets confused a lot with like the original series uh, was broken up. Um, and so it gets confused with some of the other series, whereas it actually was totally different series. But whereas some of the newer uh, seasons seem to rotate cast members a lot uh, right. and they, they seem to change the, the, the concept and the cast members a ton. Sort of the original series was kind of they kept that steady. They kept a steady cast, a steady pace. And I think that's what different, differentiates it from some of the newer stuff which i'm not a huge fan of like i said but if you are into that um that is something to be excited about so the next little bit of news it looks like we have a trailer for an upcoming transformers netflix uh three-parter from what i gather online it's going to be called transformers war for cybertron uh it's going to debut on netflix i didn't see a date uh steven if you know of a date I, that's coming up, I think it's summer of 2020, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I didn't catch a, a direct date. I did see uh, the trailer, but I don't remember a date that stood out. So I think it was like a coming soon or like you said, summer. Wasn't anything concrete. And I'm actually more interested in this than I am the Power Rangers because I watched the trailer this morning Uh and it looks pretty cool. It's it's the it's a combination of CGI and practical, I guess pra- uh, practical art style where they're hand drawn mm-hmm. characters, which looks pretty cool. From what I gather, the synopsis is um, the Decepticons have now taken over Cybertron, 
and now Optimus Prime has to lead the resistance against the Decepticons to take back um, Cybertron at this, and at the same time um, look for the AllSpark to to help them in their victory. Uh, hmm. Looks like it's going to be a three parter, similar to what we saw with um, uh, the anime series for the anime trilogy for Godzilla that was produced mm-hmm. uh, uh, through Netflix starting in 2017. Um, so yeah, there's going to be a ton of content. I think Travis and I were talking about, um, there being a reboot of Beast Wars, I think a couple episodes back. And so if you're, if you're a Transformers fan and I am, I'm more of a Transformers fan than I am a Power Rangers fan, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if you're, if you're in that camp, same as me, that's something else to be excited about because like I said, the trailer does look awesome. Uh, it looks like it's going to the like part one looks to be uh, titled um, Transformers War for Cybertron and it, it's called Seed the Siege or Siege. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's called Siege just see by itself. Uh, so right. yeah, it look it looks pretty cool. Uh, I'm looking forward yep. to it. I'm really amazed how Netflix has kind of become this uh, spot for reviving things from the 80s. I don't know if you've kind of taken note of that because I've seen a lot of 80s properties being revived on Netflix. So we got Transformers, She-Ra, He-Man's coming, or Masters Mm -hmm. of the Universe, however you want to lay that out. Um, I feel like there's more. My brain's just not connecting to them. Voltron. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think Voltron was released... Oh, shoot. I think it was released about the same time as maybe the anime Godzilla series, like 2017, 2018, something like that. Uh, I think it was a little a little before that. I know they broke some of their seasons up a little bit, but it's it's been out for some time, a little, little while, at least 2014, maybe. I might be being generous. I don't know. But I, I feel like it's been out for a while. I think I'm there were seven seasons and it just ended. I'm wondering if some of the if it's because some of the licenses for for some of these series are kind of coming up on their on their end of life cycle, and so Netflix is just scooping them up left and right. They uh, could be mm-hmm. and trying to revive them. Uh, well, except with the exception being, of course, the Godzilla series. They had to go through Toho and sure. and all that to get that done. And I'm assuming probably they would have to go through who own i forget who even owns transformers at this point was it hasbro well, that still owns transformers i think hasbro still has the license on it and that's that's actually what i was curious about do you know if dreamworks is involved with this because i know they were involved with voltron shira and i think they are involved with the master of the U- masters of the universe reboot that's coming up it would make sense if they sequel. were i've not yeah. seen anything specific online about it like i said sure. i just watched the trailer this morning uh, in mm. prep for the show, but uh, I've not seen anything specific. But it is, it would be interesting, and it would kind of make sense if DreamWorks was was in the middle of it. I feel like we're in this resurgence now of some of these. I wouldn't call them smaller film studios like DreamWorks, mm. Legendary, Warner Brothers, because well, obviously Warner Brothers is huge; it's been around forever. Uh, but I feel like Legendary hasn't been around that long, or they've really not gained as much steam. Uh, and sort of this whole monsterverse and and all that has just sort of been their right. bread has been their bread and butter and and legendary is actually in the in the process in in this business of reviving old titles too which makes sense since their name is legendary so they're taking they're taking some of these more legendary titles from pop culture and giving them a little bit new life but anyway back to transformers it would make sense that dreamworks is sort of doing that 
Uh, I was yeah. just kind of curious who actually owns the rights to uh, to Transformers. I, I like. I think I'm. I think it's Hasbro, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. I, I would. I would definitely say Hasbro. If I had. A, if I was to put money down, it, I would say Hasbro for sure. Um. The next little bit of news, if you want me to jump sure. on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll go uh, back Jurassic World 3 has started filming. And according to a photo that Colin Trevorrow has shared on Twitter, uh, the title seems to be Jurassic World Dominion. Okay. We've seen posters revealed. Um, mm-hmm. the, the plot synopsis, as we know, is that dinosaurs are out in the world now. So, which is a different take on everything we've seen prior it's not a park it's not an island it's they're out yeah so and then i think this is something travis and i also touched on last episode or episode or i can't remember they're all starting to run together at this point yeah um but yeah i think i think him and i talked about this was just sort of the the ultimate conclusion of the series Mm -hmm. like if i feel like the jurassic park series um or jurassic world now as it's called is nearing its end and so this is just the logical conclusion of that uh the franchise probably is coming to an end at some point it'll have to um because all things all all good things come to an end so uh i feel like this was what the end game pun intended was supposed to be for this franchise um you know dinosaurs walking amongst people and uh, it'll be interesting, really, because like you said, we have some poster reveals now. I think one poster that stu- I don't have them in front of me, but one poster that stood out was uh, was Mose, the Mosasaur, uh, sw- yeah. swimming underneath some uh, surfers, which mm-hmm. we all we all can kind of imagine how that's going to go. Um, yeah. Or one of the pterodactyls uh, landed on one of the buildings, what appears to be either Chicago or New York. I really couldn't tell. Um, and then we did, I think it was last year, we got the um, the little mini episode or mini-sode mm-hmm. uh, for Jurassic World. What was, oh God, what was the name of that? Um, I don't remember, but a, I, I know a, exactly what you're talking about. Um, I about said Brokeback Mountains, not Brokeback Mountains. <laughs> 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 oh God, what was it called? Um <sighs> Anyway, it, it where these camper or these people what seemed to lay what it, what it seemed to me like refugees, um, sure. camped out in the middle of nowhere, and then all of a sudden dinosaurs show up, and so it was just mm. sort of this really interesting thing that they did to to help tease what was forthcoming because I think at this point we had this was post uh, Fallen Kingdom, but this was sort of when the steam started when when it's when the word about the next film, which now we know is Dominion. Uh, was really starting to heat up. So they released this and it really created some buzz. And I remember I shared it online. It was really interesting. I think it was only like five or 10 minutes long. It wasn't very long at all, but it was just mm-hmm. really interesting where you saw this Carnosaurus uh, doing battle with the triter- really Triceratops, what appeared to be maybe in the California, in a California forest or something, because I remember maybe seeing redwood trees or, right. or something like that. It was just really interesting. And I, I think the film itself is going to be an interesting thing to, to see. I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping it's not too cringy, but I don't know. I feel like Fallen Kingdom was okay, uh, but there were some moments in it that made me kind of go, "Ooh, okay." Yeah, I feel like they should. the 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 franchise has an opportunity to really say something if it wanted to, and I feel that this would be one of those moments. Like 
tampering with science as good as it can be at times. Mm -hmm. There are consequences to taking it. Like if you took it this far, if somebody really took it this far, do you want that? And and kind of play on that and, and really explore that on a deeper level. But I understand they're popcorn films. Maybe we don't want to get too deep into it. But it would be nice yeah, you know, yeah. to, to have a more philosophical take on it. The early films were definitely like that. The original mm-hmm. film was definitely, you know, the dangers of messing with genetics and DNA and, and stuff like that. And then you've gotten to the Lost World, um, which had a really conservationist sort of message to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Jurassic Park 3, that was sort of just popcorn. That was just popcorn sure. fodder, pretty much. It's it's my least favorite, actually, of the franchise. I know a lot of people like to hate on the Lost World series, or not Lost World, but um, the, previ- the last two films that we got. Um, mm. But I actually just don't like Jurassic, Jurassic World. Jurassic World, not, um, not Lost World. Um, but I know, I, but Jurassic Park three was not great for me and that was my least favorite of the whole franchise. So, but yeah, you're, you're right. They could do something so much more with that. And and I think now it's just sort of a money grab at this point, uh, you know, playing up to the franchise's popularity and, and well, and, and name itself. So, you know, I, I'm sure I'll probably enjoy it, but I don't expect a, a, a super deep message out of it. No, absolutely not. Um, so the next little bit of news, uh, I know Travis is probably pretty excited about this because we act- this was uh, something we kind of talked about. Uh, we didn't know this was coming at the time, but we talked about it. It looks like uh, we are going to be getting uh, a Little Shop of Horrors remake. And it's said to, um, it, it's said to star uh, Block of Wood Chris Evans, and he <laughs> is going to be playing the sadistic dentist, if anybody is familiar with The Little Shop of Horrors. It was uh, a musical based on, I think, a 1950s kaiju fi- or uh, mo- 1950s monster movie that was adapted mm-hmm. to a musical sometime in the 80s. Um, Correct. And it's best it's best known for the giant um, plant. I want to say Venus flytrap because it, that's what it closely remembers. Yeah. Uh, Audrey and or I think yeah. it was Audrey two or Audrey. Audrey two. Uh, okay. And uh, it's best known for that, you know, the line, feed me, Seymour. Mm-hmm. And um, it starred Rick Moranis and a few other people that I don't remember their name of. Um, probably, I, I would recognize them if I saw it. But anyway, they're rebooting it. Uh, it should be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Uh, they're really probably going to be leaning on star power with this one if they're already talking about bringing in Chris Evans, which, if you're not familiar, Chris Evans is, of course, Captain America. Sure. For better or for worse. And he's an interesting choice to play that role considering the choices we had prior because in the 80s musical we had Steve Martin playing that role to a T. He was magnificent in that role. And then if you want to go back to the 50s version, the original version was Jack Nicholson. So I didn't know that. Yeah, in his very first role. I didn't know that. It's cool. Fun little facts for you. But right. I guess if Chris Evans is looking to break the mold and do something completely different, sure. I mean, I'm not against him doing that because when he was cast as Captain America, I was like, what? No. Uh-uh, yeah. no. And then now he's Captain America. So right. if he wants to be and the sadistic dentist, go for it. Um, 
Yeah, and it, it sort of makes sense. Uh, I could I could kind of see him playing that role because, um, you know, I, I've really I don't think I've ever seen I think I've seen Chris Evans in one other film. Um, it was the one about the the snow and the train, and I cannot, Snowpiercer. Yeah, Snowpiercer. I've only seen him in that one, and it was okay. It was actually a, mm-hmm. it was it was a pretty good film. Um, I just, I'm not the biggest fan of Chris Evans. I, I said block of wood is sort of a joke because I actually kind of like, I kind of like him as Captain America. He fits the role. You know, it was sort of a shocker when we first, when we, when we first saw it because it kind of seemed a little awkward at first, but, but yeah, he's kind of grown into that role and it'll be interesting to see him play something other than, um, you know, a pretty boy superhero, you know, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm interested, I guess, to see what the the rest of the cast is going to be, and if they're going to remake the film as a musical, or if they're going to go back to the original Corman version of it just being a movie. I would because, say they're probably going to go musical. Like my gut tells me, they're just going to go just straight musical with it, uh, because musicals seem to be kind of po- seem to be popular within the last ten years or so. Everyone everyone but, likes a musical. Yeah, um, but I kind of hope they go back to the old horror aspect of it. To be honest, kind of would too, just so it's different, so it's not a rehash of what was done yet again. And I know this is a rehash of a rehash, but mm-hmm. do something different. And what don't would make, make it, it even more interesting, Stephen, is if uh, they did practical effects instead of yes. CGI, which I know they will. Pro- they will lean very heavy on CGI. I get it. Um, but if they were to do a lot of, if they were to do primarily practical effects for this, uh, for this movie, like they did with the remake in the eighties, I feel like that would be really interesting. Sure. Yeah. I I would like that too. Uh, moving on the next (laughs) bit of news we have, cause we could talk about that all day. Uh, we, we saw a, a trailer for a DreamWorks picture. Hey, it came back around DreamWorks. Uh, they've got a new animated feature coming out called Rumble, which we would only bring up because it kind of seems like kaiju fights. You know, you have these big monsters going at it, but it's done in a wrestling style. So it's something that the people and the public are fascinated with and they go to these matches. And I guess we have a new kaiju shows up and he's kind of getting thrown into the matches and he's going to get to fight and whatnot. And yeah. I actually think I saw this at the theater I'm almost positive I saw it at the theater. Will Arnett, I think, is playing the main monster. I didn't quite catch any of the other names in the film, but uh does seem to be a production between DreamWorks, Paramount, and WWE Pictures. So that yep. kind of explains the wrestling aspect. What do you what do you think of it? It's gonna be might- an, it's it's gonna be an underdog story. It's just gonna mm-hmm. be a typical cartoon underdog story i think it's going to be interesting to see what they do with the with the i find it interesting that they did sort of the angle with wrestling um Mm -hmm. even though i know wrestling is is sort of a a thing now it's 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 always been a thing but it seems like in the last you know five or so years or 10 years or whatever it's really crept up into the pop culture um sure so even since I since I lost interest in wrestling, it feels like it's just we've just seen this boom of, you know, and that could be because you know Dwayne Johnson trans uh, he made his transition to Hollywood. Everyone knows everyone knows who The Rock is, and so that just mm-hmm. brings in more 
uh, focus to WWE and some of the other, um, you know, some of the other maybe more indie companies but this is not a wrestling podcast so you know we can probably talk about that all day too but anyway right. i think it's going to be interesting um to see sort of what angle they go at it with uh i actually like dreamworks and what they did with um i think it was megamind megamind is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite cartoon movies uh to watch i'm not big on disney to be honest with you i but i do seem to, for some reason really enjoy what dreamworks does with their animation yeah uh, the next thing we've got, and this is kind of more in my wheelhouse of the other podcast, is uh, we've got a, a video game trailer for Project GG, which is from Hadike Kiyami. Kiyami. Hold on. Kamiya. <laughs> Kamiya. There we go. Hadike Kamiya. I, I nailed it. Uh, this will be his third game in the superhero trilogy. Uh, the other games that he did were Beautiful Joe, which was a great game. I can attest to that. And The Wonderful 101, which I think I played a demo of, and it was pretty good. But I never got into it too deep. Uh, right now, there's no information beyond the announcement uh, as to when it would be released or anything like that or what its actual name is. But Platinum Games, they're behind the, uh, the production of it. They're a solid game company, as I can attest. If you want to go hear more about that, go listen to Super Mega Rise with Turbo. Uh, <laughs> shameless plug. Shameless plug. And anyway, but it's giant mechs versus giant monsters. Uh, it's, it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun, but we will update you as we know and as well the other podcasts. So. Yeah. And I saw, I think the first time I saw this was on Instagram of all places. I think it was Kaiju News Outlet was the first per, was the first place that I saw any kind of footage for this and it looks really cool at least mm-hmm. at least the pro at least the promo trailer for it looks really cool i, I don't know sure. how much that will translate to the actual game in-game graphics um but i've heard i've saw i've seen a lot of people online say oh my god it's ultraman we're getting an ultraman game no it's not ultraman i think it's been confirmed not to be ultraman if i'm not mistaken right right um but i can see where people would make that mistake though because in the trailer yep. you've just got this dark figure rising up out of the smoke that looks it's a dark humanoid figure uh with glowing eyes and he's getting ready to fight a giant kaiju so i mean i can see where people would think that this is ultraman but i think it's been pretty much debunked now that it's actually not going to be ultraman which is kind of disappointing to me in a way but i really do look forward to um to, to seeing more about this game yeah, and and they can maybe throw in a few winks and nods to Ultraman just for the sake of that, but that also gives them license to do whatever they want without being hindered by Ultraman. So yeah. it's 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 a slippery slope, but yeah. Uh, we're going to try to kind of rush, not rush, but we're going to try to breeze through these last two little bits of news just so we don't cut too much into our main topic. But uh, Stephen, it looks like we are going to be getting a brand new kaiju movie. Um, it's going to be called Giant Monsters Aftermath and in the notes here it says although the title varies slightly depending on the translation in the film Japan is faced with with an aftermath in aftermath of their recent battles with kaiju facing um, surmounting environmental issues and political turmoil the nation is forced to clear off the kaiju's corpse uh, in order to prevent the complete collapse of Japan. So um, I don't know if this is actually going to be a monster movie 
or what or what civilization is going to be like post a monster movie or post a monster sure. attack. Um, either way, I think it sounds interesting. I think I mean we'll probably see some monster action either in fla- either in flashbacks or or something like that. But I feel like it's in- really interesting that they're that they're doing this. Uh, mm. sort of showing what civilization is would be like after we've sort of had to clean up after a giant monster attack. So um, sure. that should be really interesting. It looks like it's going to be Toei in collaboration with Shochiku. I hope I said that correctly. Um, and so there is no release date for it yet that I know of, Stephen, unless you know of one. Uh, but no. I, this is the only information I've been able to find about it online. But uh, there is now a poster uh, for the film, and there is a post made, I believe, again, by Kaiju News Outlet um, that we will try to find and link to in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. But very little is known about this film. It sounds super interesting, um, and I hope to see more about it in the next few months. Absolutely. Finally, we have a, a rumor that there was a test screening for uh, Kong versus or Godzilla versus Kong. I want to say it the other way. I don't know why, but rumor has it that it was well received by a test screen. That's take with a grain of salt. I hope that's fine. I hope that's good. But again, we'll have to wait and see. But that's the word on the street on the rumor mill as of right now. Yeah. So, and like you said, I take word of test screen of test screenings with a grain of salt because I mean, those are usually played to a very select audience. Typically they're played to an audience who will review the film. Well, I remember Mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, King of the monsters had very positive test screenings. uh, And we all know how the reviews came out on that one. Uh, Although it seemed like the general population uh, seemed to like it, but it was sort of a mixed bag where the yeah. uh, the cri- the critics, you know, they sh- they shat all over it, and um, the general audience sort of liked it, but the fan base really liked it, and mm-hmm. still yet it's it's pretty divisive within the fan base too. So, um, yeah, I take it with a grain of salt. It looks like Adam Wingard posted on his Instagram. Uh, it was a photo of Kong versus Godzilla from 1962. And all it said was, um, yesterday was a great day for these two fellas. And so mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it's not just, fa- I'm hoping that it's just not, you know, talking up a bad film. Um, from what I understand, the film was a, is going to be a little bit shorter, just shot a little under two hours. Whereas King of the Monsters was like two hours, 30 some odd minutes. Uh, so that's fine. If they can keep it around 90 minutes, I'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm. Sure. All right. We want to get into our uh, main topic this week. Yeah, our let's go movie. ahead and yeah, let's go ahead and, and shoot for it. Um, looks like we posted last week, or Travis posted um, a trivia question to the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, and it just re- and it just said, "What giant ape sequel was uh, released?" a mere eight months after the original. And we did have quite a few answers Mm -hmm. uh, to this. Looks like, um, who is this person? Trevise? 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 I don't know. I don't, I hope I, whoever you are, I hope I'm not butchering your name, man. I'm sorry. Um, He wrote, uh, (laughs) 
Conga 2, Electric Boogaloo, uh, Adolescent Cyber Samurai, Godzilla's 2, Secret of the Ooze. And that is probably an, an answer only Travis can give us. Yes, so, only Travis. <laughs> only Travis would give us that answer. Uh, looks like uh, Brandon Hurst wrote in and he wrote Chibi Kong. I've seen some photos of, I've seen some artwork of Chibi Kong before. They're pretty sure. cute. Uh, Brian Stafford wrote in Donkey Konga, uh, the movie based on the musical based on the early 2000s rhythm game. Sounds interesting. I'd probably play mm. that. Uh, Jesse Wilson wrote Lord of Delvar, or Lord of Delvar Valley. And he, and he continues, Delvar Valley was a 1921 hit featured and featured a giant ape. Uh, which was called Lord of a Prehistoric Valley. Uh, eight months later, um, LOVD came out, but it was just terrible. It killed the franchise. Uh, and then he later goes on to said that later goes on to say that that film was possibly it cannot be confirmed. Possibly is what can is what inspired the original 1933 King Kong movie. Now uh, I I'm gonna say. I did some research into this film. I have no rec- I found no records of this movie even existing. I'm not saying that he's wrong. I'm just saying that I could find no trace. And I understand it's a lost film, but usually there's something tangible. I, so I couldn't find anything. So I would really like to look into this a little bit more just out of sheer curiosity. Well, the name alone just makes me curious. The Lord yeah. of Delvar Valley. It's like Yeah. Um yeah, so I, I'm just I'm kind of curious because I, I really don't even know what a 1920s monster movie looks like. I know that what they I mean I I would assume they would be similar to maybe the 30s, sure. um, but I'm just kind of curious what a 1921 monster movie looks like. Um, It'd be interesting. While, while I'm while I'm thinking about it, what year was the original uh, Lost World silent film released? Was that in the 1910s? I feel like it was a little later. But I okay. cannot say for certain. I know it was a I silent was, film. Yeah. So, or somewhere in the 20s, is that would be my guess. But I couldn't tell you specifically. But you might be okay. right, too. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm i just kind of curious now what uh, what a really early monster movie film would look like. Because we, we kind of are really familiar with what they look like now from the 30s, 40s, the 50s, and then mm. on. But earlier than that... I think it'd be really interesting to see what kind of technology they were working with to uh, sure. to produce a monster movie like that. So, um, and the last cluster, and I say cluster because there was a lot um, yeah. of people wrote in um, ET thirteen productions, Monster Island Film Vault, Kai, Monster Island Film Vault, Kaiju Transmissions, uh, Justin Baker, David Marshall, Sonny Garcia, Jess Johnson. Uh, Brian Patrick Lamoth, Dylan Nolan, Red Radozilla121193 from Instagram, uh, Smith Wesson. They all wrote Son of Kong. So Son today, Kong. so today, in honor of King Kong Month, uh, in the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, we are going to be doing the film from 1933. Son of Kong. And Stephen, I have to ask you before we all get started and before you get started with the cast and crew, mm-hmm. why do you feel like this film is so looked down upon by the fan base? 
I'm really not sure. It's I think because it's just so glossed over. Because it was something I wasn't very aware of initially when I knew of King Kong. It was only like, I mean, I was still in my teens, I think, when I found out about it. But it was casually happened to look on cable and it said Son of Kong. I'm like, what is this? Son of Kong? What is this? Like, I knew of Son of Godzilla before this Mm -hmm. even existed. And I think it just, it goes under the radar. It's forgotten. And I think because it's forgotten, people think it's a lesser film Mm -hmm. immediately. Because it doesn't have this shining light on it, as like, hey, this is this is a movie too that just came out and it's it's pretty good by some standards if you want to go there. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I just think it's it's forgotten. It's shoved aside because no one wants to talk about it, and I really don't understand why. Maybe it's because it was released in the same year <laughs> as King Kong. You know, I mean, it was only but, released eight months later so i mean that should give that should have given it plenty of time um to to set itself apart from its uh pun intended parent film mm-hmm. um so I, I really don't know why uh this film is looked down upon either because when i, I i'll be honest with you full disclosure i had not since i watched it last night it had probably been literally a decade if not more since mm-hmm. i had seen this film uh, I always knew about it. I always knew it was just sort of out there in the ether somewhere, but it just never was something that I was interested in seeing because I was more focused on Godzilla and Ultraman and, and some of the other kaiju films. Um, Gorgo, for instance, uh, some mm. of the Ray Harryhausen films, I knew uh, I was more interested in those. And yeah, I, I, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised actually how much I enjoyed this film. Mm. Um so before we get into all that, our likes and our dislikes, you want to give us our you want to give us our uh, cast and crew, and our sure. Plot the movie was uh, directed by Ernest Shodasak. Pretty sure I nailed that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the special effects were by Buzz Gibson with Willis O'Brien. There's a lot more to that, but we won't get into that at the moment. Uh, starring Robert Armstrong reprising his role as Carl Denham, Helen Mack as Hilda, and Frank Riker as Captain Englehorn, also from the original film. And it's a light and breezy movie. It's 70 minutes. 70 minutes. You can, an hour and 10 minutes of your time to watch this film. I mean, it's not going to break your day. Now, as far as what the plot breakdown is, well, you see, if you remember, King Kong happened. And, uh, you know, there's this aftermath. What would happen? Because we were just talking about that a moment ago. What would happen after something like King Kong happened? Well, you see, Carl Denham's getting sued by everybody. (laughs) So what does he do? He runs. He runs away with the captain because he's going to get sued too. And they all run away. And then they run into the guy who actually gave Carl Denham the map to Skull Island. And then they take him along for a journey. And then he kicks him off the boat. But then he gets kicked off the boat. And then they all wind back up on Skull Island. And then chaos ensues once again, finding little Kong or Kiko as he's known behind the scenes or Godzilla or Kong Jr. Whatever you want to call him. I think he's referred to in the fit when they first meet him, uh, Carl Denham says it's a little Kong. And so I just call, I think from then, from that point on, I think in the film, uh, because you, you referenced the name Kiko, he's Mm. never called Kiko, uh, in the film. He, that's a, 
that was a nickname given to him, I think, by Willis O'Brien or, or Gibson. I'm not 100 percent mm. sure who gave him that nickname, but um, but they've never. But in the film, he is called Little Kong. So, um, yeah, I I, um, I I was really pleasantly surprised with this. Now, not yeah. only was I pleasantly surprised about how long it was, because like you said, a breezy 70 minutes is not it's not hard to get through. Um, no. when some films we, some films we've reviewed before, uh, are almost an hour and a half to two hours long and you're miserable by the first 45 minutes. So, sure. um, yeah, I, I was pleasantly surprised by this film. Uh, what were some standout sort of, what was there some standout moments for you for this one? Well, I think all, getting back Robert Armstrong as Carl Denham was probably a smart choice. Now, not mm-hmm. to say that Fay Ray or I can't remember the other guy's name, the guy who played Jack, slips my mind, but Robert Armstrong had charisma. You know, he had something he could kind of bring, and he definitely had that 1930s kind of acting style. It's like, hey, girl, hey, you, what are you doing over here? Wait, let's go. <laughs> you know, so he kind of brought that charisma and charm, and he to lead and guide the movie was probably a good choice that they stuck with him. So I really liked that they had him. And since we're kind of at the beginning of the film, just kind of talking about that, I don't know about you, but for whatever reason, I get, I can't really say I'm nostalgic for it, and I'm, I'm trying to find the right word. I, I just, I find it fascinating when they, like, the old RKO logos, the old movie logos, and how they started movies, because that's a time gone by that they don't do that anymore. And it's always fascinating to me when these movies start to see how they begin and how they go about doing their thing i don't know it just tickles my fancy yeah a lot of these films uh especially like in the 20 not 20 but the the third the 30s the 40s and the 50s especially they don't waste a whole lot of time mm-hmm. getting down i feel like they don't waste a whole lot of time to get down to to the to the meat and potatoes of the matter um let's see the last film that um that Travis and I did the last Harryhausen film that we did was the beast from 20,000 fat. No, no, not the beast. Sorry. Uh, it came from beneath the sea. Uh, and they did not waste any time whatsoever. Um, getting to the monster and getting to the action. Whereas with son of Kong, it starts out like the, the first shot. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, the first shot you get is a poster for the original King Kong. Mm. Um, and it's labeled Carl Denham's monster. And you see that in big, bold letters. And so they, from the start, you know, uh, if you're familiar with the previous film that, you know, Carl's in trouble. Uh, yeah. and I feel like that's pretty, I feel like him being sued and him brought before a grand jury for indictment. That's probably pretty accurate as to how it would happen today. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the federal government, if you brought a giant monster into a city, they're gonna play. They're gonna have to place blame on somebody. It's not gonna mm-hmm. just be like, oh well, you know, he caused some damage. We'll fix the damage. No charge. You're fine. Yada yada yada. No, it's you're. Someone's gonna have to pay for something. I think I feel like that's probably pretty accurate. Sure. Um, one thing that stood out to me for this film in particular was that it seemed to be sort of lighthearted which was in yes. con- which was sort of in contrast to what we got with the original Kong 33 where it was sort of set up as this adventure slash horror slash um you know pseudo love story 
And where where this, you don't really have a whole lot of that. You have some of those love story elements between Carl Denham and, and I think it was Hilda. Yeah, it was Hilda. Mm-hmm. And you have some of that. But I saw her and his relationship more as sort of like a father and daughter figure. It's not until like much, much later on that you kind of see to see that love in. Well, you see some of it early on. I take yeah. that back. I take that back. You do see it early on when uh, it's the scene where he's getting ready to ship out and she wants to come with him and she's she's flirting with him a little bit and she wants to come and all that good stuff. So, uh, but anyway, this film is more of a, a comedy, family friendly adventure film than what we got with the original Kong movie. Sure. And I don't know about you while we're speaking of uh, just things that amused us uh, it being comedic. It's might have not have been a say. comedic element to it, but it just, it amused me. The little, the little music monkeys, <laughs> there was that one that could, that would just sit there and smile. What was that? Yes. Like when I, the first time I saw that, I was like, Oh my God, look at that little guy. He's just sitting there. Just smiling, just, just smiling, just playing happy. his little violin. He's just happy to do like, what he's doing, man. Yeah. It just amused me to no end. I was like, I gotta show this to people. Look at him, he's smiling. <laughs> yeah. So. Um I was sitting there watching it last night and I cracked up at that scene because that scene yeah. went on for a good probably minute and a half. It was just them playing um playing instruments. And you know that was that was put in there to amuse uh people in the audience because, mm-hmm. you know, animal show like during the twenties and thirties animal shows was a big deal it's not like today where you can just jump in a car and go to your local zoo uh you know you had animal shows and they were like this big spectacle and everything was amazing and and just one you know you had this sense of wonder and um i feel like yeah that was just put in there and to amuse the audience um, Mm -hmm. and maybe fill maybe fill just a little bit of time i felt like too but i'm glad it was there because i did i did crack up um yeah just a little bit. And then we also had Hilda's musical number, which probably also was there to give it a little padding. Because without <laughs> that scene bit. right there, you probably would have shaved off a good five, maybe ten minutes, give Something or like take. That. Just if you didn't have that. But essentially her getting there, uh, her father dying or getting killed, should I say, that whole bit. Just kind of steps to get to where we're going to wind back up on Skull Island. I think... Just from a, I won't say I dislike it specifically, but if you look at the plot beats, getting back to Skull Island and even getting off, it does feel a little clunky. The fact that now them leaving, I understand that, you know, they're bailing, they're getting out of the U.S., we're we're running away from legal problems, that's that's understandable, but for them to run back into the guy who gave him the, the map, for there to be some sort of conflict at the one place that they are when they find him, and then she stows away on the boat for them to get dropped off very near Skull Island to go back there, and then everything leading them off seemed very circumstantial and happenstance. Yeah, it, it seemed really just, convenient to me. Yeah. And we, it's not like this is the only movie that's ever done convenient plot points and convenient happenings in the story. It's, I'd say that's just one of the weaker parts of it. If you don't overthink it, you can kind of get through it and be like, yeah, okay. I mean, it's not so dramatic to the point where you're just like, well, I can't believe this. That makes no sense whatsoever. It's just like, yeah, that's convenient. 
okay. Just don't overthink it and you'll be fine. Yeah, this is not one of those films. This is not Schindler's List. You're not going to sit there and scratch your head the whole time and wonder, you know, and and question your your life choices. This is a fun, family-friendly, somewhat semi-comedy action-adventure film that's actually got pretty good pacing. Like, I thought the pacing of this film, although some of the plot points were a little bit too convenient, even mm-hmm. for, I feel like, even the 1933 standards, they were just a little bit too convenient. Um, the pacing was okay. Um, mm-hmm. The ending, the last, I believe it was 10 minutes or 15 minutes or so, is where I sort of scratched my head and, and yeah. wondered, you know, why would they in it, why would they inject this random earthquake that was apparently so strong to destroy an entire island. Now I don't know how big Kong Island. I don't know how big Skull Island is supposed to be. I'm assuming it's pretty substantial. Right. But how strong does that earthquake have to be um, to destroy and sink an entire island? Now what I thought was going to happen, because uh, again I had I really didn't remember a whole lot about this film. Uh, what I thought was going to happen was when Carl found the diamonds and he was going to take the diamonds. And then like we've seen in some films like Indiana Jones and others, it triggers something and it sort of sets off like a self-destruct sequence on the Island right. because you're not supposed to touch that. Like that's something you, it's sacred. You don't touch it, but it didn't. It was just no. sort of this random act of God, so to speak. And, that's pretty much it. I mean, and then Kong, um, Kiko's uh, death was a little bit underwhelming. It was sad. I'll be honest with you. I, I felt really bad for the little guy uh, because, it, 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 uh, you know. Yeah, well, I was just going to say it just it felt like all of this happened just to kill him, you know, and just to destroy Skull Island. Like you said, there, there was nothing triggering this. It just started. And it felt like, well, they was like, well, we've got to get rid of him. No, you don't. You could have let them get off the island scot-free. You mm-hmm. could have done something to let them get away and leave the little one there. Just let him be. And I just, I felt like it was so unnecessary to kill that character. He did nothing wrong. You know, right. with Kong, it was a tragedy in the sense that he was just a wild animal in a place he didn't belong. This little guy was home. He didn't do anything wrong. He was just helping him out. And then he just dies for nothing. How did you feel about uh, Carl's somewhat, and I say somewhat because the, his character arc was there. Like mm-hmm. those redemptive, like in the original Kong movie, Carl Denham is this, he's entrepreneur, he's all about the money, he's just trying to get that fame and fortune. But in this one, he seems to have more of a heart and a soul. Uh, mm-hmm. And he feels bad for what he did. And then... All of a sudden, like they they build it up to where like he feels really bad because he's getting indicted and he's getting sued, and so he's like, "Man, why why did I even do what I did before bringing Kong to New York City?" And then um, he just kind of reverts back to the same old money grubbing Carl Denham that we saw yeah. in the previous film. Like there was there was that there was that hint of an arc, and then sort of they went back down the slope a little bit more with him that's how yeah. I, that's how i felt oh yeah for sure I, I feel like from a narrative perspective they wanted to have some sort of growth even if it was small and to be redemptive in some way that last scene 
if they wanted to cause chaos or whatever, have Kiko get caught or trapped or something. And Carl Denham had to save him, mm-hmm. knowing that, you know, he was going to die. The, the little guy was going to die. And maybe he was going to take off running. And he turns around and he's like, no, I got to save him. And that could have been his redemptive arc. He's like, hey, I, maybe I did wrong by your father, but I'm doing right by you. You're saved. And then right. he can run off and he can feel better about himself. But they didn't. And <laughs> the little guy saves him, practically, just to die for him. Right. And it just felt counterproductive in that matter. It did. It did. And speaking of Kiko, uh, I know talking with some of the some of the people within the Facebook group, uh, especially some of the more, uh, some of the bigger Kong fans. Um, Kiko's design was a little bit, it's a little bit divisive. I didn't have a problem with it. I think it fit, mm. I think it fit the film to a T, to be yeah. honest with you, because he was sort of silly. He was very cute and just kind of, there was nothing really, uh, there was nothing really scary about him. Um, no. What did you what did you think about Kiko as just as Kiko in general? I think that was his purpose. I mean, it's supposed to be a little Kong. He's supposed to be a kid. He's supposed to be silly and goofy. And it's like you said, it kind of adds that um, family element to the film, so kids can look at it because kids probably did go in seeing King Kong, and they were just fascinated by it. But then, I don't know if this would have been something of the time. But considering we've seen it decade after decade, so many times, parents would be like, well, that's just too scary for my children. I'm not going to let them watch that scary stuff. King Kong could have been terrifying back in 1933. I don't know. Mm-hmm. you know, But it very well could have been. So there could have been parents saying, I'm not going to let my child watch this because you know it's too scary. But then they could introduce it to Kiko. And the studio heard that and be like, well, we got to let kids watch this. Great right. and make him more family friendly. That could have been some of the production interference that we heard about with Willis O'Brien mm-hmm. um, could have possibly been that. We're like, well, well, just tone it down and make it look, you know, a little bit more kid friendly, whatnot. And maybe that's what he wasn't going for initially. And that's why he kind of backed away. I don't know that for sure. This is speculation on my part, but I do, I do like the way he is his design because it works for the way the overall tone of the film had he been something vicious and horrific it just wouldn't work it would have been really even if he had been a miniature kong like he looked exactly like his dad Mm -hmm. um but he was just smaller i think in the film they said about 12 feet tall is what i think how tall carl said he was um but still would he he would have he would have still been somewhat scary because i can see how Kong from 1933 would have been scary because there were elements to that film. Uh, one moment in particular, um, it's the close-up shot with the animatronic mm-hmm. uh, puppet or whatever they were using back then, and Kong is literally chewing some guy up right there on camera. I mean, there's you know there's some horror elements too. There's some shock value. There's some shock uh, value elements and some horror elements to that original film that just were not present here. Uh, right. And one thing. Uh, we kind of glossed over there was sort of a, some backstage issues with Willis O'Brien and some of the team there um, that we won't go into great detail here because I just think, you know, if you want to look it up, you can go look it up if, for yourself. But um, I feel like there was some, there is some inconsistencies with the film, 
that maybe could have crept in because O'Brien had to hand off some of the production to someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I felt about because that's how I felt about some of the pacing and, and some of the and why the film felt rushed to me because yeah. I remember reading uh, I remember reading about the film and I think it was Gibson or, or someone was trying to get in touch with O'Brien and like, hey, what do we do here? What did you have in mind? And O'Brien was not talking to them because he was focused on his personal issues. Uh, and so they just had to basically wing it. And so they kind of went with what they knew uh, from the screenplay, I'm assuming, and just kind of went from there. So that and that and you could kind of feel that, especially within yeah. the last the last quarter of the film. You could really kind of feel that, I feel like. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um. One uh one fun fact about Kiko himself, since we're on the since we're sort of on the topic, was he's actually the repurposed puppet from the battle with or from the Kong battle with the T Rex. So basically, they stripped it down, um, stripped the, all the rubber and the, and the fur and stuff like that. He's that what they what they refer to as the long face Kong that yeah. you see in the battle with the Tyrannosaurus, um, and so that was what they repurposed him to make Kika, which sort of makes sense because I'm assuming, you know, for this film budgets probably had to be a little bit tight. So taking all that into consideration, um, Steven, what do you think you would sort of give a score? What, what kind of score would you, would you think that you would give a film like this? Well, considering everything that we talked about, I didn't hate this movie. I've always kind of liked this movie ever since I, I watched it because it's it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's just kind of a a nice little addition to the Kong story. You know, you just got done watching King Kong. Maybe you want a little bit more. Here's an extra hour for you, and it kind of takes you back to where you'd been, and and kind of keeps you with a character that you knew. Um, again, some of the, some of the plot points just don't add up for me. Uh, I don't know how people feel about <laughs> if if you're not a fan of um certain there wasn't a lot of sexism in this movie but there was one racist moment i don't know if you caught that or not where it was just like <laughs> on the island there was who was it uh, he's like well this is the only she's like you're gonna go talk to that guy aren't you? she's like was well, the only white man here he's yeah. like oh okay okay and yeah. so uh, one minor thing and some could even argue that all right let me ask you this before we get too deep because we, we didn't even touch on charlie Oh, Does he, okay. f- he never really, like, there are some really, really racist characterizations of Asians in movies mm-hmm. way back when. Very. I feel like he teeters a line. Like, he, I never felt like he was overtly, but I don't know if he's doing an accent or if that's literally how he spoke. His now, accent, he wasn't a great actor. Like, was it, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say, you can tell he wasn't really a good actor because a lot of his line delivery was, was kind of flat. But, again, I don't I don't know if that was just his... Was he doing an accent or not? I don't know. I don't know. So, I can't really say, but it's not like he was... I don't want to do any impressions because I don't want to offend anybody, but it wasn't over the top. He just seemed it like was, he had a bit of an accent. It was exaggerated, I felt like. His okay. character was, I feel like it was an over-the-top exaggeration of what you, what a night, what 
a, a studio in the 1930s would depict an Asian American or someone of Asian descent. Um, just in the way he dressed, in the way he talked, um, mm-hmm. sort of his mannerisms, and which, which you you hate to say it, but in the in the time which you which you gotta kind of take the time into cons- the time when this film was made into consideration. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of stereotyping and a lot of mm. you know putting certain sections of people in boxes. Say, um, you know, if you were black, you would be an islander, or you would be a native, you know, sure. stuff like that. Or if you were, if if it was you know, uh, if you were a cook for in this sense, I think in the in the thirties and forties, a lot of the cooks and a lot of the chefs were Asian, and mm-hmm. for some reason they got boxed into this um, into this role like type I think it's is it type is it called typecasting is that what it's yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of called mm-hmm. okay um, so yeah I, I think I feel like his I feel like his accent was a little bit exaggerated but I cannot confirm but it, it felt exa- it felt exaggerated to me because I noticed it especially the moment where they throw them off the boat mm-hmm. and Charlie's down on the uh, on the sm- on the on the smaller boat um and he basically tells the crew good luck cooking for yourselves because or no you're all gonna die because now you have to cook for yourselves or something like that but he says Mm. it in such a way that's really exaggerated and it's really and when i heard it it was kind it made me cringe a little bit i'm not gonna lie because it just was so exaggerated right so outside of that i'm just saying just be aware product of the times we've talked about them before at least we didn't have any kind of creepy uh, moments like we did in, in the giant claw where like oh. Denim didn't try to jump all over Hildy. I don't even remember them kissing. Like their their last little bit, that was like a prime moment for them to kiss and they just arm around each other and hugged. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, I'd forgotten yeah. about that, but there wasn't really anything like that. It was just like, well, we're together now. That's it. I so think it was that's very right. kind of I think that's, tame. I think that's correct because they said, "If I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember the line because it kind of stood out to me too." Is like a, a moment where you would expect some intimacy and there wasn't. And um, hmm. now I don't. Now when you go into these films, um, like some, especially these older films, I don't expect a ton of inst- intimacy simply because you I don't because I feel like the ratings back then were super strict like you couldn't show even uh, I think yeah. a, a lady's um a, a, her dress had to be a certain length or something like that it was the you know times back then were super strict as opposed to now where it's you do what you want whatever makes you happy mm-hmm. um but yeah. But yeah, that moment at the very end when they're together and they're talking about you know splitting the splitting the treasure and the well the money they're going to get from the diamond I should say, and she's like she's talking about you know Denim will get a piece, Inglehorn will get a piece, or maybe I'll get a piece or I'll get a piece of yours or something like that and yeah and you know Denim pulls her in for a hug and he and she's like this feels nice and then the movie ends and that's it. So yeah, it was it was a nice moment. It was uh, in a it's in a way that's sort of why I like some of these older films because um, there's there's a certain level of wholesomeness to it that you don't necessarily get with with newer with films where it's you know just sort of sex 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 and debauchery yeah. and 
and just you know the f-bomb being thrown around all the time now i'm not i'm not a prude by no means because you know my, me and my wife you know we do watch some shows that would probably we i wouldn't show them to my mother you know god rest your soul <laughs> i wouldn't watch them in front of my mother let's just say that but uh um but yeah it is it is really refreshing to watch sort of an older film where mm. some of the the moral standards were just a little bit higher sure and and i also feel like in that moment I don't feel like a moment that intimate had been earned as far as kissing. And I feel like no. that's something that gets forced into movies sometimes mm-hmm. trying to force a relationship. And it's just like, you didn't earn this. This is not earned at this point. So why are we doing this? It just feels weird. So I kind of like that, but this anyway, long <laughs> roundabout way of saying <laughs> I would give this a three out of five because I, I did, I do enjoy it. It's brisk, it's simple, it's it's just a nice addition to Kong, and I don't feel it's that bad at all. It does have its problems, but it's very watchable. Yeah. And honestly, I'm going to piggyback off of you and say I'm going to give it three out of five Godzukis also. Uh, and Travis will kill us if we don't say this, but oh, yeah. ba- basically our, we give our films a score of certain amount of Godzukis, and if, you, if anyone's not familiar, Godzuki is the bumbling um nephew i believe of godzilla from the gods the hanna-barbera cartoon so mm-hmm. uh just to kind of bring it all back around and sort of get and sort of give reference to or give honor to some of those older television shows within the within the the fan base uh we go ahead and, and say we, we give it a certain number of godzukis but anyway i'm going to give mine a three out of five godzukis pretty much for the same reason as you i really enjoyed the film i went into it not really remembering exactly what the film was about i could kind of get the i kind of remembered some stuff i even remembered sort of what little kong looked like and uh but there are certain moments in the film that i was like oh yeah that did happen or you know the film kind of surprised me uh the, the the pacing is good it's an easy watch at 70 minutes it's something that you can watch if you're if you're home with your family and you just feel like putting on an old movie um if you guys are into that kind of thing it's something you can watch together and that's i feel like that's a rarity these days something you can all watch as a family and it's really not a terrible addition to the kong legacy i i don't think that it deserves it's i don't i don't think it deserves as much hate as it as it necessarily gets so hmm. i would agree and you know if i if i may say you kind of mentioned something there older movie to put on i really wish more younger people and this is going to make me start to sound like an old codger and i'm really okay, trying not are. to but it happened it's going to happen i might as well <laughs> just start embracing it <laughs> i i my wife is one of these people and it just bugs me where they say no, I can't watch a movie that's in black and white. Oh, gosh. So don't be that that way. Don't be that close-minded. There are so many great movies that you're going to miss out on if you're stuck on that one idea of, oh, it's in black and white. I can't watch it. Oh, gosh. I used to be that way. I get it. But push through it. Give stuff a chance. Mm-hmm. Really give these movies a chance, despite how old they are or if they don't have color. You're going to be pleasantly surprised how many great movies were made way back when and um i'll piggyback a little bit off of that too when you watch a black and white film although you are seeing visuals you sort of have to pay attention more toward 
to the story and the acting than you do the visuals because everything is monochrome it's all in black and white and there's no really there's no like big elaborate budgets to some a lot of these older films and you really just have to sit back and take them as they are uh several older films that are in black and white that come to mind are are Mr. mr smith goes to washington um casablanca i believe is in black and white mm-hmm. um oh shoot there was a, there was one i watched uh the other night and i cannot think of what the name of it is now because it, it's an older film but um but yeah i think you're i think you're definitely like steven said doing yourself a disservice when you don't give some of these older films a chance because there are some real gems out there now i'm not saying that every film in black and white is great uh i don't particularly enjoy the blob and i believe that one's in black and white Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go towards the horror element, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon, I believe that's that's a that's a decent film, and it's in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just be a little bit op- more open minded to certain films, regardless of what format they're shown in. Uh, and that's something I've had to sort of teach myself too. Yeah. So yeah, three three out of five for this film for me. Uh, it's a solid watch. Uh, I think you should give it a shot. I think you can find it now on Amazon. I rented, I rented mine for literally a dollar ninety nine, which is probably unheard of now. I think <laughs> usually f- to rent a film on Amazon, it's at least four to five dollars uh, to just purchase it. I think it's like four bucks. Um, so I spend you know, the four bucks. <laughs> yeah, just pay, just spend, just spend the four bucks. Buy it, own it, you know, own it digitally. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't know of any other place you can find it. I think you can find a, co- a physical copy on Amazon for fairly reasonably priced, I believe. Uh, but now some of these older films are getting pretty hard to find. So when you can catch mm-hmm. them, uh, you know, please watch them because if we if you don't, eventually they'll they'll be lost forever. So for sure. Uh, Stephen, do you want to read our mailbag question? Absolutely. We have a letter. Do we have two? Maybe we've got one. I think we've, we've got, got one long one. One <laughs> long one. Have. Okay. So I wanted to make sure because I was looking at it. I was like, wow, this. But uh, this letter seems to be from uh, one of our Patreon patrons, Brian Stafford. He's at Beardy Kong level. Uh, he's he. We usually hear from him every week, which hey, we we love it. We love hearing from all of our fans out there. Uh, his letter starts off. Good day, Kaiju crew. Admittedly, I am somewhat of a newbie when it comes to the world of kaiju. However, your wonderful podcast is podcast, not podcasts, podcasts, has made me do some big deep dives recently. Though I did love the two episodes about Gamera, I especially adored hearing about the giant claw. That was that was a chore. That's interesting. <laughs> anyway, uh, this one does sound like a great drinking game with friends movie so i am looking forward to put putting that to the test which it, be prepared eat a lot of food that day because you will be going down very very quickly uh, <laughs> exactly. also may i suggest releasing drunk commentaries on movies of this quality as a possible patreon bonus i mean you know maybe we'd have to find some maybe maybe <laughs> we'll see maybe yeah i mean what it what travis did admit he was hammered when he watched it just to get through it Uh, i also wanted to say that yes i agree that no other kaiju looks like the giant claw but i may have found a couple of characters from the legend of zelda video game series that may have been influenced by the monster bird's distinct look 
please take a look at the pictures of the witch sisters Kotake and Koyume and let me know if you too see possible family resemblance to the giant claw. <laughs> Thank you all and please remember to have your Gerudo witches spayed or neutered Brian Stafford. Um, it took me a second to remember who he was talking about and then I remember those video games and I was like, Okay, because they are some googly-eyed, big-nosed witches, and I said right. witches. So if you compare <laughs> what they've got going on with the giant claw, yeah, I could see some inspiration that somebody could have looked at that and said, we could turn that into a witch. So, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's wrong. There could very well be some influence there. So, if you've never played those video games, uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and, um, oh, what's the second one? There's a second one. Come on, brain. Come on, brain. You can do it. This is your uh, area, Steve. Majora's Mask. Um, that's what it was. They're, they are featured in those games. So, look those characters up. Kotake and Koyume, the witches of those Zelda games. I had to look it up. Uh, because I didn't know exactly who he was talking about, but yeah, I agree. You could, uh, you could, I could see some resemblance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not specifically sure which one I was looking at, to be honest with you, but I remember one in particular. Yeah. She had the long neck, the really slooped, the sloped nose or Mm -hmm. that kind of curved around like a beak. I mean, I could see it. I think he's right. Um, as for the drunk commentary, um, you'd be surprised how many times I've done this show drunk. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm really not saying. I, I really not. Um, I really don't do that. I try to try to be as clear-headed as I possibly can. But um, but yeah, I think it probably would be a little bit fun. But I'm kind of wondering. Like sometimes I, I feel like people don't even want to listen to us sober. Why would they yeah. want to listen to us drunk? Uh, I, albeit it would be interesting. Um, sure. To take a movie like The Giant Claw or, um, um, uh, shoot, it came from beneath the sea and mm. pair it with a nice uh, bourbon, something that's going to get you really get get you good good and ready to go. Mm. Um, but I will ask you this on the spot, uh, Stephen, if you had to pick an alcohol. And movie combo oh doesn't necessarily have to be a kaiju film okay. or a monster film. What would it be? What would be oh. your perfect alcohol and movie combo? Man, the alcohol would probably be the easiest part of this <laughs> because <laughs> the movie. There are so many that I guess it would be the question of: Am I going to get more amusement out of watching this film, or because it really would matter? What what's the alcohol going to do to you? Is it going to make you enjoy it more? Or is it going to make you angry? <laughs> now I can go either way. <laughs> right. Sometimes I can be happy. Sometimes I can get angry. And right. if the movie's going to make me angry, I don't want to watch the movie and just be like, I hate this movie. This is so stupid. Why are we watching this? So I'd want something that would be a little bit more fun to watch. Something I could critique. There was a movie. You know what? No, I'm going to actually pick one that you suggest. You mentioned. Before, I don't remember if you mentioned it on the podcast. I think you did. I don't think I was there. Velocipaster. I want to watch that because you said that was a, that was, 
what an hour <laughs> 10 minutes 20 minutes of your life you can't get something back. like that it was like an hour and 25 minutes of my life that i will never ever get back again and and i heard about it i read about it before i heard what you said about it it was like okay now i'm interested now i'm intrigued because i've gotten one version of it that's saying yeah it's stupid but yeah, it could be fun and then you're just like Gosh, I just wasted 90 minutes of my life. So now I'm I'm right there in the middle and I'm just like, okay. So how about um you know what? Let's make it fun. Big old bottle of Long Island iced tea. <laughs> and and Velocipaster. That, that's my choice. Okay. I was I was thinking maybe you'd say holy water or red wine, but um, to each their own, I guess. Um for me, I was I was trying to find one. Uh, I was trying to think of one while while you were talking. I was struggling there. So I'm going to pick the one that came to my mind first. Um, the original Sharknado um, from like 2001, I think, or whenever it was. Mm-hmm. They've made so many now that I can't even keep track. But Yeah. Uh, the original Sharknado and... I'm going to go with tequila. I'm, okay. I'm a tequila person. So that just seems like a fun combination because what little bit I remember of, of the original Sharknado movie was it was a struggle. It was a real struggle to get through. It was. Um, you know, as the, I think at the first film was, they were trying to be serious, but as, as it got along further into their series, mm-hmm. uh, they became self-aware just how silly it actually was. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I remember trying to watch the riff tracks and couldn't even get through it. That was that was a chore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so thank you, Brian, uh, for your question. I hope we answered it uh, to the best of our ability. Uh, keep sending those comp. See, keep. I'm getting tongue tied again. Keep Uh-oh. sending those mailbag questions in. As far as I know, I think Travis said we're getting a little light. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as mailbag questions go. So if you guys are listening to this episode or, well, obviously you are, if you're hearing me say this, but, uh, send us those mailbag questions and you can email those to the podcast at kaijuweekly at gmail.com. Uh, you can also reach out to us at Kaiju Weekly pod on Twitter. Uh, and I believe it's Kaiju Weekly pod on Instagram as well. Um, so you can find us on either platform. Um, Email your questions and we will try to get to them as many. We will try to get to as many as we can, as often as we can on the podcast. Um, So with that, uh, I do have not necessarily a trivia question uh, to set up next week's episode because next week's going to be sort of a special um, episode. We're not going to be reviewing a film and we're not going to be talking about a particular television show. We're actually going to be covering a topic. And I'll go ahead and just give, uh, I'll just go ahead and give the topic away because I feel like, you know, uh, the question's sort of going to give it away anyway. But sure. uh, the topic is going to be, there is no better time than now to be a kaiju fan. And we're going to expand on that a little bit next week. Um, but it was a topic that kind of was, that came to us uh, when we were, I think it started with me and Travis and then we brought you into it, Stephen, in the chat um that right now we are in this kaiju giant monster ultraman toku, tokusatsu renaissance 
and so we want to celebrate that. And the question that we came up with was, uh, what does the kaiju fandom mean to you? I know what it means to me. I can probably guess what it means to Steven, and I'm pretty sure what it means to Travis. But we want to hear from you guys. What does the kaiju fandom mean to you? So you can email us that at kaijuweekly at gmail.com. Uh, we'll also post it on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, within the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. Um, and also we have a special guest coming in to join us. Uh, none other than Nathan Marchand of the Monster Island Film Vault. Um, so he's going to be with us. It's going to be a foursome next week. It's going to be our first ever uh, sort of roundtable discussion with four hosts on the show. We're just going to talk about what the fandom means to us and uh, sort of what we've enjoyed so much about uh, this sort of kaiju giant monster renaissance that we're in the middle of and and so go over what our hopes and dreams and all this other stuff that we can come up with and uh, what we're looking forward to in the future. So, yeah, with that said, Stephen, do you want to go ahead and sign us out? Absolutely. You know where to find us on all the podcast platforms. And as Travis likes to say, every week, Help control the giant monster population. Have your kaiju spayed or neutered. Guys, it's been fun. We hope to hear from you next week. Take it's care. It's been a lot of fun, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you.